Hello, welcome to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. Thank you very much to our good friends, Story94, for hosting this podcast at their wonderful podcast studio in Oxford. Today, uh, I'm joined by a friend of mine, a trusted entrepreneur, the entrepreneur's mentor, Mike Foster. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, So, Mike, today, let's start by learning a little bit about you um, and the entrepreneur's mentor. Yeah, so my journey is quite varied in terms of uh, I was an area manager for Barclays Startups years ago um, after leaving school immediately and starting with Barclays uh, two weeks before my 16th birthday. Uh, I wanted to get into business as quickly as possible. I did a leisure startup, which was a breakaway from South Oxford District Council, then worked in the leisure industry for about two and a half years, then decided to start my own business. It had a number of my own businesses, six in total, um, sold a couple of them, quite varied from a bookkeeping account business uh, through a training company right through to an indoor soft play center and since I sold that 2013 I've been doing my mentoring and with my mentoring I've worked in an accountancy practice and I've also worked in the science and tech sector also Um, what do I do as the entrepreneur's mentor now I support other entrepreneurs to start develop and grow their own business and really what's evolved over really since the pandemic is actually a bit more of a sounding board so mm. uh, I think because of my broad experience and the knowledge that I've picked up over those various different roles that I've had I act as a sounding board I can support my clients I know where my limits are in terms of you know I can't help somebody sack somebody but I know quite a bit around HR for example and um, I can't recruit people like you but I know a little bit about recruitment but um, I spark or fuel other people's ideas Mm. to not necessarily tell them how to do things and that's really why I position myself as a mentor Um, I could be a consultant I could Mm. be a coach I find with coaches um, we ask great questions in terms of how do you think you do that what you know what's your opinion what's your thoughts but sometimes and this is even off the back of my own experience and from my market research business owners say well I've engaged my coach to help me to do things I don't know the answer to Mm. so I'm more about you know it's been that sounding board, sparking and fueling their ideas, using case studies and using examples to bring the best ideas out of those uh, businesses that I'm working with to help them develop their business. And, you know, growth is a, d- a dirty word a little bit at this moment in time. So uh, I sort of say about developing and improving the business that they have. Amazing. No, really good overview. I think one of the things that was least surprising to me there is um, when you said just before your 16th birthday, you were bursting to get into the world of business. Um, and knowing you, I can certainly imagine that. The word entrepreneur is quite a widely used word. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. What is an entrepreneur? Yeah, when I chose it, now I didn't realise I wouldn't be able to spell it so easily so uh, <laughs> or even pronounce it. Well, actually, a business owner is an entrepreneur um, and I've been challenged a few times being an entrepreneur's mentor well you're not the right mentor for me because I'm you know I just run a business I don't mm. run multiple business etc but actually if you look at the definition of an entrepreneur an entrepreneur is somebody who takes a risk mm. and ultimately as a business owner we all take a risk mm. you know uh, some of us have moved away from well-paid jobs mm. um, some of us have been forced into the situation but we've all still taken a risk in some way in terms of what our future may look like and you know as entrepreneurs, business owners, I think most of us love that you know, in terms of the destiny and the control in our own hands. So in simple terms, I think an entrepreneur is a, a business owner and, uh, you know, like I say, someone takes risk. Amazing. Amazing. One of the things that I've always admired from being a client of yours in, in, in the past, which which was amazing, but also speaking, I know quite a lot of clients of yours, is you seem to give entrepreneurs real confidence. Is that something that entrepreneurs lack at times and you see as something that you do intentionally to give that confidence? 
Um, that's, that's kind of you to say. And um, I don't intentionally, you know, I think part of my role and, and the traditional role as a coach or a mentor is to say, okay, where are you now? Where mm. do you want to get to? And, you know, what's the, what's the plan to get there? Mm. And I'm a big advocate of breaking that down. I think if you want change, the steps quite often are far too big. So you have to mm. break that step, step down and give yourself steps that you can celebrate, but also achieve in a smart way, you know, realistic and achievable. Mm. And I think in terms of the confidence comes through that. Now, I think most business owners are confident, mm. but they're confident in what they do or they're mm. confident in what they know. And most business owners that come to work with me get to a point whereby, well, now I need to do something slightly different. You know, one of my favourite sayings from a good book is, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. You're going to get similar results, the same results, etc. So I think it's where, you know, a business plateaus, for example, and they want to do something different or they know that they need to do something that's outside their technical comfort zone, if you like. So one of my favourite books is The E-Myth, um, which moves business owners, you know, E-myth is the entrepreneurial myth, and it moves people from you know the technical role because it, Gerber basically talks that most people don't set up business because they're entrepreneurs. They set up businesses because they're technically good at what they do and they're willing to take a risk. Then you go through from technician to manager, a manager of your business, manager of your people, and then commonly come the entrepreneur. And I think my role in addition to helping people plan and have clarity about their journey is to keep them accountable but also to motivate them to do what they do. And I think that's where I embed confidence into people, into the things that they don't know the answers to initially, is by motivating them and giving them the confidence within themselves to try things, to fail fast, and, um, and make a step into an element where their comfort zone perhaps hadn't let them go before. Mm. It's really interesting, actually, that, that you say that, because uh, I think one of the things that I often see in corporate careers or, or entrepreneurs um, in networking circles is I think that when we work for someone, we've got a boss saying, you need to do that, you need to do that, you need to do that, and often things that we don't want to do. But actually, as a business owner, we, we, we don't have necessarily somebody ahead of us that is going to hold us accountable. Do you see that when, when you start to work with clients who may not have worked with a mentor or a coach previously in terms of that accountability thing is, is I think we're all in business want to do that thing that we really want to do, won't we? But not necessarily the, the harder bits. Yeah, yeah, I think from my perspective, there was one thing I wanted to do was get out of the corporate rat race and run my own businesses. But actually, two, three years in, I realised there was so much in the corporate rat race that I had to embed into my small business. You know, mm. whether that was, you know, from your perspective, how you structurally recruit people, how you do your performance reviews, and how you do keep yourself accountable to somebody. And I've got my own coaches. Mm. Um, I've got a, a personal coach who looks after my well-being, and I've got a, a business coach. And... I'm pretty disciplined, as you know, but I still need that coach to sort of like remind me of some of the things that, you know, I consider to be important. In terms of business owners and accountability, again, I think it's that piece about what they're comfortable doing. So, you know, for example, I always set my tasks with my client back. Okay, what do you want to take away from this session? What's the things that you're going to work on before we see each other again? And I can probably guarantee that in most cases, the things that are a little bit uncomfortable are the things that I have to check in with them and remind them to do, whereas the things that are really comfortable and you could probably sometimes do without are done without a problem. And so I think the accountability is just pushing that performance level to, to, to as I call it, level up or a step change that you need mm. to make in your business.
Absolutely. No, really, really useful. One of the things that um, you touched on with the e-myth, I know that you're a big reader. And one of the things I think a lot of business books, um, and particularly social media in, in, in the current age, which again, you know a lot more about than I, is a lot of platforms say that we should all be growing our business by 20 or 30 or 50% a year. You should be a millionaire by the time you're 15, maybe an exaggeration. But I know something that you touched on again earlier um, in this podcast is about not necessarily working your clients just to grow, but actually about being kind of more fulfilling for them or, or whatever else. Can you just kind of talk about that process and, and maybe really kind of give some advice to entrepreneurs who might be listening and might be feeling that pressure that I need to be more profitable or I need to increase turnover? What would, yeah, what would be your advice from your experience? It's interesting the word that you use there, pressure, because I do feel that a lot of business owners feel under pressure mm. to perform. Mm. Um, and that's not necessarily perform to what they desire that's to perform to their peers to perform mm. what they read on social media to perform as you say what they read in a book to say you wouldn't be a successful business owner if you didn't do a million pound turnover, or if you didn't own a yacht or if you didn't ex you know have your private plane etc i think from my perspective and you know i've got a, a really lovely testimonial um coming back to the new year about mm. someone who had removed their anxiety for the first time was able mm. to sleep last night and I think for me, it's basically helping business owners to identify what it is that they really want mm. and how they define success by themselves, mm. not necessarily in terms of what somebody else is telling them that success looks like. And, you, you know, you won't be surprised, I'm sure, because of the conversations we've had. But, you know, I think when people even really balance that down and say, OK, what do, what do I really want? Is it a work-life balance? Is it pounds in the bank account to give me choices is it better use of my time is it having a business that operates without me so that i can in enjoy the elements of the business that i enjoy because we know that business owners have to wear mm. so many hats particularly yeah. in the early stages of their business so i think yeah so i spend a lot of time really understanding what my clients want to do the journey that they want to take you know that that a to b mm. i always say look let's let's say where you want to be three five ten years time but let's bring it back to a year in a, a line in the sand in a year's time because if we can actually work towards that business, mm. then we've got a trajectory about where we're going forward. And, you know, as a past client, you'll know how I work, but I used to, when I first did this uh, mentoring, is my first session was all about questions, questions, mm. questions, questions. Well, what's your goals? What's your objectives? And my own values felt, hmm, that didn't feel right. My clients mm. just paid me to sit there and ask them questions. So I put together a questionnaire, what I call a kickstart questionnaire. And this kickstart questionnaire really delves deep into what the business is a business owner wants and what they want for themselves personally what they want for the business mm. and by doing that um, by in a questionnaire format i feel i get a more considered response it's not necessarily the response that i feel i need to hear as a as a coach or a mentor mm. but it's also not an off-the-cuff response that they probably regret mm. 24 hours later so i encourage them here's the questionnaire complete the questionnaire put it to one mm. side for 24 hours and then revisit it and what i tend to get out of that is the really deep actually, the business isn't really that important. It's a mechanism to deliver what my goals and objectives are, whether that is work-life balance, whether that is time. And like I say, work-life balance is a really interesting one because when I challenge people on work-life balance, they don't really know what they want to do if they get all this time available. And actually, entrepreneurs love running their business. Mm, mm, no, amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting you bring, bring that up because I remember completing that presentation. And actually, one of the things that as I was completing it that came out was 
when I want to retire. And I hadn't even really thought about it before completing that present, that questionnaire. So, so no, thank you for that. One of your other tools, and I don't mean to share all of your tools on, on the podcast with everyone listening, but one of your other tools I think is really useful and be really good for you to talk the listeners through is your business model canvas. I appreciate it. it's sometimes easier to do it visually, isn't it? But uh, but yeah, I, I like to uh, I like to give you a challenge. So what is the business model canvas and how does it work and how would it be useful for, for, for some of the listeners right now? Yeah, and ask away, Ben, because I think from my perspective, I want people to know how I work, the sort of mm. things that I talk about. Um, one of the things that frustrates me about the industry that we are encouraged to sign up with a coach where we don't know really know what mm. they talk about, what they do, how they work, etc. Mm. So I try to be open in terms of the resources I share. Business Model Canvas is not necessarily my tool. It's a tool that's been around for years. I can't remember the name of the guys that, that put it together, although I use it uh, very regularly. I first came across it when I was involved with Business Link and delivering the Growth Accelerator Scheme, mm. as many of us were across Oxfordshire at the time. It was this sort of the, the common tool. And mm. I wanted a, a tool that I felt underpinned my work, but mm. also was that one-page strategic document, a view of the business. And mm. I always use it um, with my clients to basically establish, okay, well, let's look at the areas. There's nine mm. building blocks um, of the business that are covered on the business model canvas. And I use it, I sometimes use it with post-it notes, whether they're red, green, or blue, to identify you know, the red ones are the ones that we need to focus on. And you can make it very visual to say, there's the area you obviously need to focus on because how you responded to my questions. It's underpinned in the central box by the value proposition. Mm. Um, ultimately, what's your USP? What's your differentiation? Why would people lean towards you rather than their competitors? Why are they likely to buy you? And then if we go to the right-hand side, I think it's all about them, your, your marketing, attracting your ideal customers and the relationships you're building. And I talk about that area in a nice little loop because if you go right to the far right-hand side, it's about your key segments, those ideal customers that you want to attract. That might be vertical markets, niches, or um, a persona of a person you're trying to attract. And once you've really identified that, you can then come back to a box, which is about marketing channels and mm. the channels and tactics that you want to use to take your value proposition to mm. market mm. and attract those customer segments. And why I call it a bit of a loop, because the top box, um, so if you come from value proposition under and around, you get to customer relationships. And we have different customer relationships at different stages of our customer journey, whether that's through their awareness stage, their uh, consideration stage, their purchase, their advocacy, their loyalty. So how does that customer relationship change? What, how do we need to change and adapt to that? But also what do we find out on the journey? And why I call it a loop is that then goes back to your value proposition. Because if we've got good feedback from our customers, that will help us to develop our value proposition. Because we can only start with what we believe is right mm. for our market. Over on the left-hand side is all about how you then deliver your promise. So you've got key partners, those that are external to the business. That might be your supply chain, your subcontractors, your advisors, your strategic partners. And it also gets you to establish you know, why are they um, key partners to the business and what's in it in the relationship. You know, Is it about economies of scale, for example? Is it about sharing risk? Is it about just a win-win situation? You've then got the internal resources. So the obvious one is any team that you have. Um, mm. I actually talk quite commonly about internal and external about being your team. But anyway, your internal, your PAYE people, your key resources, um, but also talks about things that you have in the business that can't necessarily be replicated by a competitor. So that might be your IP, your intellectual property. It might be your software, your hardware. It might be even the cash that you have available or the access that you have to finance. And then the last box on that side is your key activities. What are the fundamental parts of your business, again, that can't necessarily be replicated to help you deliver your promise to your customer that you've made as part of your value proposition? 
And the two boxes at the bottom are your finances. Right-hand side is your revenue, left-hand side is your costs. And personally, I think if you get the top seven boxes right, they start to dictate those two because if you mm. get the right-hand side right, that dictates the bottom right, which is your revenue, and that mm. dictate your primary revenue streams, your secondary revenue streams. Mm. And actually, if you get the left-hand side right, that will give you a nice lean business and therefore dictate your costs a little bit. So therefore, what's the differentiation? But And there's no coincidence in my mind about how the business model canvas works out. So if your revenue is over and above your costs, the line in the middle is your profit, which is right underneath the value proposition, i.e. the profit for return of your value proposition. Oh, clever, really, really clever. I might um, have made this up, but this is available on your website as well, isn't it? I've got a copy of it on my website. Yeah. I talk about it in my blogs, um, my videos, recent social posts. Brilliant. That was risky that I said that. That was risky mentioning that. Um, if, if it wasn't on it, it would have been a little bit awkward, wouldn't it? I'm just going to bring um, on to something that's very topical at the moment. I think that we're seeing a bit of doom and gloom in the economic climate. There are businesses that are struggling and you know that there, there, there is this recession. You've set up six businesses. You've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs across this time. What, what would be your advice to, to businesses? Should they change the way they're working? What should they kind of be doing right now? It's been a really interesting journey, hasn't it? I think um, towards the end of last year, there was loads of uncertainty. We were warned that we were going into a recession. Good old press sort of built it up, built it up as I usually do. I think sometimes we're a little bit lucky in Oxfordshire and sort of sitting in a bit of a bubble, but I have to be careful of that, you know, um, how we might take that. But, you know, we saw in terms of loads of uncertainty, so people weren't making decisions, they weren't closing off on projects. There was less visitors to a lot of people's websites. And I think then when we turn the corner of the new year, you know, the, the government had settled down as much as it can settle down at this moment in time. There was a few more decisions. I think a bit more confidence coming to the market. Although there was an ele element of we're going into a recession, there was a bit more confidence. You could see things in the new year now starting to, to stir and move around. I think my advice to people is control the controllable. I don't watch the news. I um, watched the news last time, probably two years ago. I might catch up on something that someone's tipped me off about and something that I need to know from my clients' perspective, you know, particularly for things around budgets and government, etc. But I don't daily go to the news because it just is a negative that saps my energy. I've been aware of that and I, I can't control, you know. I can't control what the government do. I can't control who the next prime minister is going to be, etc. So I don't get involved in that. And I encourage businesses to say, yeah, we're going to go into a recession maybe, but there's still going to be opportunities. There's opportunities out there for any business. And quite often you'll see opportunities increase for businesses in, in a time. You just have to find them. But what is it that you can control? And actually, you know, is it about controlling your activity? Is it about controlling the way that you build your business? Is it about, you know, wh whether you do need to pivot into either a different market, a different product, different service, for example? So that would be my main advice. I'd also, in terms of, I think what we've seen with businesses over the last couple of years, they have become more aware of finances but really understand your finances and forecast your finances out, but do some sensitivity analysis to so do some what if analysis and say, okay, well, if this is likely to happen, okay, nobody saw a pandemic coming. If anybody says they did, then um, I question that. But, you know, things like, okay, we're going to drop turnover by 25%. If you model that out as a what if analysis, you've got your core forecast, take a copy of that and then do some what-if analysis around that and say, okay, well, if I lost 25% of my turnover, if I lost my key member of staff, what would the impact truly be on my business? And, you know, what changes would I need to make from a financial perspective to start with? And that starts to help you model that through. Because then if that actually happens, all you go is, okay, let's pick that model out. Let's pick that forecast out. And you react very quickly. Mm. 
Really interesting. Really interesting. Just just on that note, actually, just around kind of finances, um, I, I know that you've worked within the accountancy sector, bookkeeping sector. What sort of reserves should businesses keep? What is because there's a, there's a lot of different figures that are out there. But what's your advice? Yeah. So I tend to say that if you want some reserves, you really have to have three months minimum mm. of your core costs. Okay. So that ultimately, if something happens to the business, you can still run for three months, and that three months gives you that window of time mm. to have some sort of recovery or some sort of change. I find that that is very personal to, to people. You know, I've got one client, they've got nine months of a, what, what I'd call a run rate. I've got some, some other clients that have zero and working on a month-by-month basis, and we're trying to improve that. And I think going into the pandemic, I think we saw so many businesses didn't have those reserves, and hence why so many panicked or struggled, et cetera, uh, and w- work on that. So, yeah, I think it's being aware of what those costs are. And my my personal guidance is a minimum of three months. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You touched on there a couple of examples of your clients. So, so one client that has got nine months and one client that has got zero months. Let's focus on, on the positive without giving too much away about the client. But what would be kind of your, your advice to a client who maybe does have too many reserves? Should they be reinvesting? Should they be trying to take it out and pay pay more tax? What well, well, I appreciate is slightly personal preference, but I guess from a, with, with your entrepreneur's hat on, what would be, yeah, what would be your advice? Well, this is this is going back to what we were talking about earlier about what's the definition of success. The mm. definition of that reserve is to that business owner. Mm. You know, ultimately, that person has nine months reserves, which they know is probably more than they need to have. Of course, but it's about their anxiety, their comfort factor mm. that they know that they're going to provide for their team because that's what happens as a business yeah. owner. We get, you know, as a startup, it's oh, I've got to put food on my own table, but then I've got twenty staff, I've got to put food on 20 tables now mm. you, know, you know that journey that you're, you're on and I think I think it's then saying okay well what, what's right for the, the business owner so mm. what does that that level look like but I always say to my clients is saying well are you looking at reinvesting your assets mm. and what are your assets are your assets your people are your assets your cash for example or your mm. your unique key resources that we talked about earlier now if it's cash you then say, okay, well, I'm going to play with those reserves a little bit. So if I've got nine months reserves, am I going to bring those reserves down to six months and give me so much X cash to reinvest in the business? Mm. And that's really about this model plan that I talked about earlier and saying, okay, well, what's the journey look like? Because mm. um, that may mean that if I can take nine months reserves down to six, that gives me enough, enough cash to hire a salesperson. And that salesperson ticks the objective, which is the next part of the plan on my step of the journey of growth or development or improvement that I want for my business, because that takes the pressure away from me as the business owner entrepreneur of actually doing that task myself. And that's the next step that we've identified that we need to do. So that's the sort of reinvestment asset of that asset. No, really good. Really good insight. Okay, cool. So just to kind of bring bring the conversation on a little bit and really kind of focus the conversation more around exit so so I, I feel that we've we've given lots of advice to um and thank you for it to, to business owners of w- what can they do now um and and a little bit of planning so let's let's talk about exit a lot of us business owners don't really know what what our exit is should we know what our exit is and what are the considerations that you would advise your clients to be thinking about now even if that exit isn't on the horizon yeah, an exit is a longer journey than a lot of people feel. You know, mm. even when you're pretty clear about what it is you want to do, and you start the mechanisms mm. in terms of due diligence and all that stuff, that can take you know, that can take a year, it can mm. take two years. Um, 
but it's actually getting to a point again where you're comfortable with and what it is that you want. Um, so, you know, do I want to exit so that my team, for example, are guaranteed a job, or do I want? I'm not too bothered about that. I'm just worried about the cash, and that can let me go off to the Bahamas and retire in that way. So it's about you know what's your values, what's important to yourself. I then say to my clients, okay, well you then need to identify early stage. Mm. when you want to retire, mm. how much you want to retire with, which is sufficient to then give you rest of your retirement in the lifestyle that you want that to be. And again, mm. I can't define that for people. I'm not an expert in terms of that wealth management, but you know, encourage them to have conversations with people about that wealth management and doing the right investments, et cetera. But that's the key bit. When is it likely to be? How much am I going to need? Mm. That gives me a number that I need. And then it's looking at the valuation of that business and saying, okay, well, what, on your industry, how is your business likely to be valued? Is it on turnover? Is it on profit? You know, turnover multiples, profit multiples, et cetera. And then once we've identified that, we know the framework that we're aiming for in terms of whether it's turnover, profit, return that we're looking for. And obviously, if we need a level of profit, we might need to push that turnover up anyway to, to get that level of profit. Once we've then identified that, we say, okay, well, again, looking at the steps that we're taking in that direction. But one of the key aspects I talk to my clients about is, well, okay, now you've identified what you're likely to do. Are you going to do a management buyout? Are you going to do um, an employee ownership trust? Are you going to do a trade sale? Then identify, well, okay, if it's going to be a trade sale, who's likely to be mm. my buyer? Mm. And do I need to start direct conversations with them? Do I need to subtly ask conversations and trying to establish what's important to them? And if you can establish what's important to them, you can also shape your business in that direction to say, okay, well, yeah, I need to hit those number targets because that's my valuation. I need to take myself out of the business because I don't want to work beyond that date because I want to start retiring. I don't want to be on, a, on a, an employed contract, et cetera. But also what's important to the client is contracted customers where actually I've got no contracts at the moment. So I need to start putting some contracts in place because mm. then there's that security or is it about you know making the business much more leaner so they can just basically take the customer base and add it onto their existing customer base? Interesting. We're coming towards the end of this episode, um, but one of the things I think would be really, really useful is to just share some final insights from you. So I'm putting you on the spot really now. But bear in mind this this podcast is going out to small Oxfordshire businesses. What what would be some of the advice and some of the tips that that, that you might like to share as some final points? Oh, good question, Ben. Um, I think the thing that I would always say to businesses is you can't be afraid of selling. Mm. I think it's probably the thing that we all avoid, and I'll put myself into that. And I would prefer anybody to lean towards me and purchase from me rather than being sold to. But you know, one of the key aspects and key skills we have to do is to identify who we need to speak to and how we can engage with them and what we need to sell to them. And I think one of the things, again, I see with a lot of businesses is they're not clear about who they want to work with. I've got one client at the moment, he's brilliant. He's really clear about who he wants to work with. And although it may be affecting him a little bit about who he's letting go at the moment and who he's saying no to, mm. I think it's brilliant because he's going to basically build a business that he's working with the type of clients he wants to work with. He's going to want to get out of bed every day and he's going to want to go to work because he's working with the right clients. And sometimes as particularly young businesses, we jump at any business because we perhaps need or want the cash uh, to give us some confidence or security and therefore we end up start working with the wrong clients. So I think it's don't be afraid of selling. Mm. Build your business with the right type of clients and be really clear about the customer segments that you want to work with. And I think the other thing that I um, talk quite a lot about is, and, and this is quite bizarre because a lot of coaches don't talk about it and people look at me as if to say, why are we focusing on obstacles? Because 
one of the things I identified was some work I did around goal planning a few mm. years ago is that we tend to do goal planning is we set, set the goal and mm. we start running towards that goal and hopefully hit the time frame we do. And then we hit an obstacle. Mm. And what we do when we hit an obstacle, quite often we bail out. And you see that with New Year's resolutions. So I think with obstacles is identify what the obstacles are likely to stop you from achieving your goal, your objective, your vision. And can you build that into your business model, into your strategy to, to eradicate those obstacles as early as possible? Some really good advice. Really, really good advice. No, thank you so much for that. Thank you to our guests, uh, Mike Foster, the entrepreneur's mentor, and actually a um, huge advocate of business in Oxfordshire. Thank you very much to Story94 for hosting us at their wonderful podcast studio in Oxford. I definitely recommend getting in touch with Nick and Matt about um, coming to have a look at what they do because it's really, really cool space. Um, you've been listening to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. My name is Ben Thompson, and thank you so much for listening.